Hey, this is Mike C. of The Natural Man Podcast. I gotta get this out of the way right off the top. The Natural Man Podcast is intended as general information for educational purposes only and should not be constituted as medical advice or diagnosis of any kind or as a substitute for medical treatment. The information provided in this podcast is not meant to replace the advice of or treatment by any physician. Do not rely upon any information to replace consultations or advice received by qualified health professionals regarding your own specific situation. If you suspect that you have a medical problem, you are urged to seek competent medical help. The Natural Man Podcast and its representatives and agents disclaim any liability for any negative or other medical or other outcomes that may occur as a result of acting on or not acting on any information contained in the podcast. The views and opinions expressed by the host and all guests are their own, and their appearance on this podcast and at the website of The Natural Man Podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent, and does not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the natural man podcast that's it here we go calling all health nuts this is the natural man podcast welcome to the natural man podcast my name is mike c thanks for joining us for another episode today this is an exploration of health wellness and discovering new ways to improve one's vitality Today, we're particularly excited because we're going to dive deep into the area of sleep medicine. Insomnia is a big part of sleep medicine, and it's a growing epidemic today. It is the most prevalent sleep disorder in adults, and some studies suggest that nearly 30% of U.S. adults suffer from some form of insomnia. And though there are numerous prescriptions and over-the-counter medications that can be used for sleep issues. There is a growing body of physicians who have turned to alternative methods of addressing sleep disorders, uh, both using behavioral strategies as well as addressing nutritional deficiencies. There are many neurological processes that must align when we sleep. When something is off, we can slip into bouts of insomnia very quickly if we don't address these imbalances. And sometimes it's more than simple behavior modification. Sleep is a complex process which relies heavily on an intricate balance of these neurological processes in the brain. Our guest today has studied sleep medicine extensively. She attended medical school at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, receiving her M.D. degree in 1983. She completed her neurology residency in 1989 at the Harvard-affiliated Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. And from 1991 through 2004, she practiced as a general neurologist in the San Francisco Bay Area. In 2016, she retired from office practice and now teaches clinicians and individuals drawing on her extensive knowledge in sleep medicine. Please welcome Dr. Stasha Gomanak. Dr. Gomanak, thank you for being here today. Hi, Mike. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. We're thrilled that uh, you could make the time to hang out with us. Um, I'm a big fan of your work. You've done a ton of research, and uh, I just can't wait to dive in to, for you to sort of share uh, the many different things that you've uncovered in, in sleep medicine. Thanks. I think it's exciting, too. Absolutely. Um, now I know you've done a ton of research on insomnia and how vitamin D plays into sleep. And 
In your opinion, what are some of the primary causes of insomnia? Uh, it is my view that most people with insomnia have a combination of two major things. The vitamin D is low, but playing as big a role is that vitamin D is a growth factor for the bugs in our bellies or for our microbiome. And I really don't think most people get sick until they have low D and have lost the microbiome. I think it's those two factors. So my experience in this is really completely clinical experience, um, trying to match what I see in my patients and now my clients to the science that's in the background. So I'm very much into biochemistry. So I always try to pull the articles that might support why, but most of the things that I stumbled into had never been reported before. So the idea that vitamin D actually runs our sleep, it's not too far-fetched. If we think of it as, oh, this is a hormone made by the sun that runs hibernation, uh, it's really about having a different um, belief system around what vitamin D is about. But pretty soon into using vitamin D to help my patients sleep better, it stopped working. And then I stumbled into this issue with the, the microbiome and actually the B vitamins. So there's a second piece, which is that the microbiome, the second piece that hasn't been looked at by anyone else that's really important. So what I have on my website are two things that no one else is talking about. One, that D runs sleep, that there are vitamin D receptors all over the cells that run sleep. But the second piece is that the microbiome is the source of the B vitamins. It's, they're really not from the food. And that means if you don't have the right microbiome, you actually have multiple deficiency states. <clears throat> and we're going to talk later about that. But there are also some roles, I think, that the microbiome plays in absorption of small charged ions, like iron, iodine, copper, zinc. So many of the deficiency states that the functional medicine specialists and the the people who actually know more about that stuff than I do, I think they're seeing something that develops in the background as we lose our microbiome. And therefore, getting the microbiome back is one of the pivotal events to getting your sleep better. That's interesting. So do you think that, you know, I always hear that as we age, um, we have more possibility of, of getting insomnia and, and having more sleep issues. Do you think it's a natural progression for all humans' microbiome to change as they age? Or is that something that do you think can remain stable? It is, it is natural in that there are processes that haven't been fully elucidated as, but are well-documented that our ability to make vitamin D per time spent in the sun goes down as we get older. If we have time, we can talk about some ideas about that. But that part has been well-documented. Well, what that implies then is, oh, maybe there's actually a mechanism for getting old. Because getting old is not an age, a chronological age. If you know that some people who are 95 who can still run and haven't had their joints replaced, that means that's the potential for human beings. We won't live till 500 years, but... I'd rather be that person than the person who's getting their hips replaced at age 20 or has heart failure at age 40. That means once I got into this a ways, it seems to me that the natural progression of aging was always about D goes low, lose your microbiome. Then there's a combination of deficiency states that starts to manifest. And there's always a sleep disorder. 
So we say old people don't need to sleep as much. That's a lie. You stop sleeping, you start aging faster. And that means there's always a sleep disorder before death as you normally age. And if we can reverse that when it first starts, even for elderly people, we can have a better life that lasts longer. We're all going to die of something eventually, but I think it's a reversible process. Do you know, have you worked with patients um, who have not had a lot of sleep issues into their 80s and 90s? I mean, is it is it possible? Can somebody up in that age range still sure. sleep a solid eight hours a night? Sure. And those people don't come to the doctor. That's a really important point. Doctors are only introduced to people who have medical challenges. In fact, it was not normal to go to the doctor 50 years ago. We didn't have doctors for everyone. There was not this concept that you pop out and you get a doctor assigned because there weren't any doctors around. That means there were whole populations between the late 1940s and the 1980s that really never went to the doctor until they got into their 70s. Unless there was trauma, we had already done things with immunizations that decreased the amount of tragic deaths from polio, diphtheria, measles, et cetera. So we had childhood illnesses, but there's a, there are two generations there that prove that people who are living outside and mostly have a rural life don't get sick as much. They don't have to go to the doctor. That means if you think of it that way and we compare our current population to that population, and say, oh, were they at the very best that they could be because they still lived outdoors, we didn't have air conditioning, we didn't have computers, we didn't actually live our lives indoors. What does that look like? What was their life like? I have personal relatives on my husband's side of the family where they have 10 kids who live to adulthood and they have 10 kids in four or five brothers. So there's like a whole castle of them. And they all do fine and they live outdoors because there's no air conditioning. And when they get their physical complaints, when they get their sleep complaints is much later. That means it wasn't uncommon for them to have sleep disorders. And I've got a whole generation there to look at. They start to have their sleep disorders a little sooner than their parents' generation because now if they drive a tractor still, they have an air conditioned tractor. So it's my view that you can link the onset of the sleep disorders, and there are genetic parts to it, but you can link the onset of the sleep disorders to the actual living circumstances. There are really interesting studies about, for instance, looking at if we've thought about diet as being the primary motivator for heart disease, diabetes, et cetera. And there are these really interesting studies that show if you take a city dweller in Vietnam versus so somebody who's a banker in the city, but is otherwise genetically, you know, the same population to somebody who's a rice farmer, that it, the rice farmer doesn't get the early onset heart disease, diabetes, et cetera. There's something very unique about being a rice farmer in that they don't really have good tractors because it grows in water. So they still are pretty much outdoors all day. And that lifestyle actually has a different outcome. Same thing in Mexico, in parts of Mexico where they're still digging in the in the ground with a stick. You know, I had a house in Mexico at the time that I was stumbling into this, wondering about why it is that these people who are just down the street from this resort, you really can't tell if they're 65 or 85. Hmm. So ultimately the 85 year olds start to get sleep disorders too. 
And really what we've done there is we've lived and then we have the dying phase, which starts with the sleep disorder, that's 10 years. Now the dying phase starts in infancy. And that's really sad. It's tragic. And um, there's a lot of research out there that reinforces the point you're making that natural light sort of reinforces and strengthens that circadian clock. Um, mm-hmm. And when we're around artificial lights, like I'm I'm in a studio right now, uh, this light is actually bad for me. There's no balance of UV and, and, and infrared light the way it's balanced naturally in the sun. So it's uh, it's interesting that you say that. And, you know, since we touched on that, um, what's your take on electronics? I mean, we're always staring at screens now. Everybody's got, you know, the average American has, what, three to four different devices that are just emitting blue light into our eyes. Um, that must be a, a big component of the work that you're doing with patients. To be frank, I, I only really talk about things that nobody else is talking about. So there's really, really good stuff about blue light. There's really good stuff about when you eat affects when you sleep. So uh, a guy named uh, Panda has some amazing videos about this, really smart dude. So most of the stuff that I have on my website, I'm there because no one else is talking about it. But there are multiple cycles. And also, you really have to look at it as we, we know so little about sleep. We really know very little. So there's a, there's a link between blue light, there's a link between retinoids like vitamin A and the retina and actual sunlight going through the eye, linking us to the 24-hour cycle. So that's one cycle. And then the one that I stumbled into is a second cycle, which is the annual cycle. So there's a second process also governed by sunlight and exposure on the skin also with the vitamin playing a role, even though we can talk about the fact that it's not really a vitamin, that's the vitamin D cycle. And that allows us to move our metabolism, our fertility, and our sleep around based on what the seasons are. So we can coordinate having a baby at a time when there's food. Our survival advantage would be completely linked to that. And we are so human focused for biology that we miss the bigger picture. All the animals have been here for millions of years. The dinosaurs slept exactly like we did. They had to sleep in exactly the same way. Their brain construction is the same. That means these processes, the engineering of these amazing processes that allow us to be awake and then flip a switch and go to sleep and sleep effectively, remember, learn, grow, repair, those were all perfected in the dinosaurs. And yet we know very little about it. That means you really need to step back and think of it in those terms to get a full picture of how would vitamin D fit into it. It doesn't matter what humans say about vitamin D. Biology doesn't care one bit what humans say about it. Absolutely. You know, I heard one uh, distinguished physician once say that uh, on the subject of clinical trials, uh, nature doesn't care about man's rules. And that just like that went right through me when I heard that. Mm -hmm. Um, Fascinating stuff. Um, Now, you talk a lot about sleep switches within our brains and how those become dysfunctional over time. Can you elaborate a little bit on the mechanics behind how those switches work? Uh, I really like that word. Cliff Safer's group in 
in Boston, who does primary research in sleep, coined those terms in the last 20 years. And I like the fact that he used that switch analogy. And he actually stole it from the software, engineer, uh, software engineers who are programming. Every time humans do something that they make, then we use that. Oh, we go, oh, well, that makes sense. Maybe our biologic systems, you know, we apply that. So that's talking about it as a flip-flop switch, which was the term he used. The graphic that I use for it is a slightly different than his. So if you picture one of those old, like Frankenstein movies where they go, yeah. you know? So yeah. those switches that are mechanical connect to metal connectors and pass electricity, and then you flip it to the other. That means that A and B states can never coexist. When I say to people, you can always be either awake or asleep, but never both. Everybody giggles because it's such a bizarre idea. But in actual fact, there are a lot of people who become sleep deprived enough that they can have a foot in both states. When you have a foot in both states and you think about what would that mean? So if our engineered sleep switches, really, we don't know what's going on there, but we do know that it's was primarily engineered to be in one state awake using our body and a different state asleep, repairing, replenishing, that that engineering diagram is supposed to be in one or the other. Once you state that and you start to look at it that way, that means any time that's not working correctly, then you start to get rusty sleep switches. Those sleep mechanisms have to repair themselves in deep sleep also. If your sleep switches continue to slowly be cheated of their repair, then you start to have pictures where you can actually be, oh, experiencing something that's really a dream while you're awake. We know that that happens because we watch spy movies and as soon as you catch the spy, you sleep deprive them. And by day four, they are completely unable to tell reality from fantasy. You can make someone psychotic by sleep depriving them in a very short period of time. You take that idea and you say, well, what if I sleep deprive someone of a slower period of time? Not on purpose, but because they can't, they can, we can only do what our brain will do. So it's not really a voluntary state to have insomnia. We've treated it as though it's your fault. We've treated, in fact, we've just we sidestepped. We really said, oh, insomnia, that's not my field. See you later. No sleeping pills? No, don't do it. We were, all of us have been made afraid of sleeping pills. If I have a choice between drug sleep and no sleep, what I've learned is it's better to have drug sleep may not be where you want to arrive. It's true that you will get addicted to the medicines, but what if you can do the medicine plus whatever you're deficient in in the background? So now that my belief system about sleeping pills changed dramatically once I got my hands on things that I went, oh, maybe this is deficiency state. We could give back this vitamin D and the brain would have what it was missing. What would that look like? What would be sleeping pills and a CPAP device for sleep apnea and this some vitamin D? What would the patient experience? Dramatically different. So one, sleeping pills are a crutch. True. The reason why we use a crutch is so that the leg gets to heal. The crutch doesn't fix the broken leg. The body always fixes itself. 
We doctors are really not fixing anything. We can reposition the two pieces of bone to help it heal better. And then the crutch keeps our weight off of it. But the body then has to heal itself. So if you look at it that way, sleeping pills are another tool. And what every single sleeping pill is different. That's really weird. Like I ended up using 25 different sleeping pills. I got really good at the sleeping pills. They all have different mechanisms. Most of the time, we don't understand what the hell they do. Yet, when I would find the one that would be right for this person and this biochemistry, they would make advances that were dramatic. It was kind of like, oh, so I think we think of supplements or we think of natural things as being different than drugs. They're really not. They're both chemicals. If you, if you get into the, the mindset that I have to listen to this person, this person is unique. Their brain chemistry is unique at this moment, and that's the only way I can sleep. You don't want to leave them there because they don't want to be on it, and that's not the final answer. But if you use that as a tool and they actually get better sleep with it than without it, then it's just one more tool. And the, and the fascinating part is I got to see people who had been on sleeping pills for 10 years who just stopped them. And I would be like, ooh, that's dangerous. And they said, no, you told me that eventually I would, you know, if I didn't want this drug anymore, I would wake up and I would stagger around. And that's what happened to me a month ago. And so I lowered it by half and then I stopped it. I was like, oh my God, I'm glad you didn't have a seizure. We as physicians don't get to see someone go from the deficiency state of low D and wrong microbiome to normal D and high microbiome and then watch what the body does with that. I got to watch people come off of their sleeping pills. They don't want to use them. And in fact, the brain will tell you when it's time to come off. You will have a different experience. You've been using this drug for three years. Now you're taking it and you feel dopey in the morning and you go, what up? I don't feel the same. I'm going to stop this and I feel great. So you have to think of the brain. What you're really asking all of us who are interested in sleep when you're not sleeping is get me sleeping again. And then we try things and each person is quite unique. You try stuff. You wind up with my stuff after you've done diet and exercise and blue light blockers and all the things that are already existent. It's not that they're not important. If they're not successful, then you get into my stuff and you start saying, oh, are there things that the brain is lacking, the basic chemical building blocks that I could give back that would change that? And then there's a whole different outcome. It's totally fascinating. It is. And you touched on something that was that was interesting. And, and I realize it's not a one size fits all. But you were telling me that people who are on sleeping pills, um, you've seen them just add vitamin D, supplemental vitamin D into their protocol. And there's been changes just in that small addition that you've seen in your practice? Well, this whole thing started with me measuring B12 levels pretty much by accident. So I'm I'm doing sleep studies on all these young, healthy females and teenagers with headaches. And because they're a younger, healthier population, they don't have sleep apnea. They don't have drops in oxygen. What they have is no rapid eye movement sleep. Well, that's not an airway problem. That's a brain problem. That's I'm a neurologist. We're supposed to be responsible for that. Why don't they have any REM? Nobody's talking about it. Yet they're generating sleep studies around the world that have that abnormality on the sleep study, but there's no comment about it on the front page because they don't know what to do about it. Because as soon as I come in and I say, hey, how's my sleep study? And I, I answer, oh, you have no REM sleep. And you go, okay, what are we gonna do? 
I go, I don't know. I have no idea. No one's writing about it. So we're completely out there on this frontier. And then one of my patients has a terror, a profound B12 deficiency. And for the first time, I'm reading these nerdy articles about single cells that are firing. And so I'm thinking about it on a cellular level. And I think, wow, what if we were admission in this, you know? And so anyway, I end up with measuring the D levels too. And then I do D and B12 for two years and it works for a while. People get better, but they pretty quickly get worse again. And then things really profoundly fall apart and a lot of pain results. And it turns out you really don't want to take D without bringing back your microbiome. And the whole population of the U.S. who started D in COVID, in the next five to 10 years, they're going to have terrible outcomes if they don't bring their microbiome back. Because the second piece is the microbiome has always been the source of the eight B vitamins. That's why there are eight things called B. Nobody ever talks about that, but why would we have A and then eight things called B? That doesn't make any sense. And it turns out that they all come from the bugs. Now that we have a huge body of literature about all the things the bugs do, we know that the bugs have made B vitamins. We just haven't, we've been told that they came from the food. So we focused on diet. The good thing for me is I was like, well, I, these bees, you know, so you can look at the other interviews about what happened to my patients, but ultimately if you don't have a normal microbiome, when you up the D and you sleep a little bit better, your body then begins to ask for these building blocks. What you do to use to make the repairs are other vitamins that are part of the cellular processes. You don't have those. You start to use up your stores. You don't have the primary source especially a B5, pantothenic acid, which is not in the food, not available, not supplied to our body in the food anywhere, despite any other author on the internet, that B5, you use up your stores and you will start to sleep terribly. Your sleep will get worse. Your pain will be worse. There are other things that are linked to that, the burning neuropathy that's all over the place now. So it's a multi- factorial issue that can be put back together. So my recommendation is anybody who's doing D, one, they need to be doing their levels, two, they need to be on my site seeing about B50 to bring back their microbiome. And then once you do those two pieces, then the next issue is getting your sleep to be as good as it can possibly be and investigating a few other things, okay? Because each person's a little bit different. Someone with mild insomnia early on, it's really easy to fix. Somebody who's got who's 24, who was a lifeguard until they were 18, and then they got a job at a warehouse or whatever. So they had lots of sun exposure as a teen. Now they're starting to have insomnia. That person just poof, right, goes back. And all you have to do is the kind of regenerating the microbiome piece. And the reason why I got interested in that is that I'm not interested in poop. I'm a neurologist. But turns out that the vitamin doses from our microbiome are very, very specific. We were meant to have that for some four phylum bacteria supplying those eight chemicals. Our biology came second. They were here first. So that means I don't have to know what the doses have to be. I don't have to know whether I believe all the other nutritional dietary recommendations. And there's been a lot of decay in the research in vitamins since the 80s when the doctors just said, oh, just eat a good diet. Okay, we kind of we kind of stepped away from being responsible there. And now there's a lot of dogma that isn't really well supported by the articles. And now we have this huge body of literature about the microbiome. 
So if you take that literature and you set it next to what we know about vitamins, there's going to be a whole, in fact, the literature in the last two years has been fantastic. The first article that actually supported this hypothesis that D was trophic to the microbiome. And that was really an assumption of mine based on Walter Stump's articles, based on the fact that IBS showed up at the same time as sleep apnea as fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue. Those all started in the 80s. Once you picture it that way, then you go, oh, well, all these things started to slide at the same time. And then we started to see infertility, autism, ADD all starting to rise. Then when you look at it that way, you think, oh, well, then D must be a trophic factor and establish our microbiome. But there were no articles. I thought there would be, but there weren't. 2020, we had the very first article that moves the D around in human and watches the microbiome population change. We have much, a bunch of other articles now that are saying D to mice, mice microbiome, microbiome then makes the raw materials that make the endocannabinoid system. So our whole nervous system is linked to what the bugs are making in development, especially, but throughout our life as well. So some of the pain that I started to see in my patients is probably around the endocannabinoid system going uh, missing at the same time. So the B vitamins are not the only important part. There's a whole range of chemicals. We probably know one one hundredth of what's going to turn out to be coming from the yeah. microbiome. That's fascinating. And I mean, I've never heard, heard it sort of explained that way, the way that you put it, um, Dr. Gomanak, and that is that once you start increasing your sleep duration, you ramp up that natural repair process. And then if you don't replenish, you're going to drain your, your resources. I mean, that's, that's a lot to swallow and nobody's yeah. having that conversation. Yeah. Nobody. It's a very different way to, you know, it's not something I would have come up with. It's something that happened to me. I'm there with these patients. I'm giving them D. I think I'm going to be a hero. We're all getting better. And at the end of two years, we're all a wreck. My yeah. D is perfect. It's 65. We find a range. We all get better. And now we're all, I'm going through the same thing they are. That's really important. And we're out there on this frontier where nobody's, I'm saying things like, well, what do you think is wrong? You know, I don't know. And I'm not into supplements. I'm not as knowledgeable as some of my patients about supplements. For the first time, we've opened this possibility that we could be missing things. And my sleep is failing at the same time. So when we all fail dramatically at two years, the timing of that is really thought-producing. I mean, thought-provoking. Also, because I've seen, I spent the first four years watching people using CPAP and using sleeping pills, and they got better, and then they failed. Within four years, the CPAP effect goes away. Everybody comes back and says, I'm still wearing it, but you know, I felt great in the first year. Well, that means there's this mechanical device that's allowing me to fall into deep sleep. And when I get into deep sleep, I feel so much better. My diabetes goes away. This, But soon the brain is not happy with only that crutch. Same thing with the sleeping pills. So as soon as you think you really have it all figured out, nope, it fails against, no, I want something else, okay? And so you're left feeling around going, wow, what the heck else would I want? And then woman walks in so we're all failing that's the only reason why i would ever do vitamins because i had you know i really have this negative education against them as a physician and somebody walks in with a book about b5 pantothenic acid and i'm like i roll i'm trying to you know, <laughs> pretend that i'm okay with it and i'll read it but the only reason why i would follow that path that she brought in in this book 
And to be truthful, I have to think that there is, just like a lot of people think that information falls in your lap when you're ready for it. I mean, she brought this book in because B5 helps rheumatoid arthritis and the people are trying it, get better sleep. And there's literature about B5 and sleep in the 1950s. So she has references. So I'm happy from a physician point of view because there's some science about it. It's tiny. It's people being starved of B5 who get insomnia in two weeks, but it's there and I'm pretty desperate and my patients are pretty desperate. So we go and we do stuff with it. And it turns out we take this certain dose that's recommended in the book and we all feel worse. We all get insomnia from it instead of sleeping better. That means there's a dose effect. Then I'm stuck with, well, one, every other reference says there is no pancytonic acid deficiency. Yet if this just gave us all insomnia and 30 out of 40 people come in to me and say, were you trying to kill me with this? I mean, why did you give me this? Because the reference says 400 milligrams. That's why I don't care. I'm not coming to see you. I mean, they were pissed off for good reason. But that means why would 30 out of 40 people come in and tell me in exactly the same words an experience that's different than what's in the book? This D is doing something that's changing the chemistry, changing our chemistry. And it's over two years. Like, what's up with that? You know, I'm a biochemical person. I think, oh, you know, it goes in there, the drug. And no, if you walk into the vitamin literature through the focus of sleep, if you look at it through the sleep lens, you never get anything out of vitamins if you're not sleeping. You don't sleep, you can give vitamins from here to tomorrow. You can eat whatever you want. All of those good ideas about using these nutritional bases to improve how you feel, it only repairs if you're sleeping. That means I would see these dramatic differences, like even my program, the vitamin program, in someone who has insomnia, if they don't sleep, they don't get better. The vitamins just float around, they don't get used. So looking at it through a sleep lens is having a specific outcome that you want. That also means you think of vitamins in a different way. I'm taking this supplement, whatever it is, to achieve a certain outcome. If it makes the opposite happen, you better listen because that means this person doesn't want that supplement. We don't think about it that way. We don't teach that way. We don't say you want to take this supplement so you can accomplish this endpoint. And once that endpoint is reached, your body's going to tell you just like it does with the sleeping pills that it doesn't want it anymore because we are originally, none of those animals are taking supplements. So it, it's a really a big mental shift about, okay, if we think of this as a, as a broken biochemical engineered set of switches, they are broken because we were deficient. And then we put in these things. And you know what the miracle? It's engineered to fix itself. Once you give it the raw materials, then it goes, oh, I know what to do. Because I don't really know. I'm not fixing their sleep. It sleeps and then it fixes itself. And it actually fixes itself. That's, that's miraculous. It is. But that's what we were designed to do. And then once it does fix itself, it will tell you, I don't want these other things anymore. I'm back into a homeostatic right place. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that that's fascinating. And I mean, I think that we don't listen to our bodies. Like nature tells us when something's wrong. Like a disease state is the body's alarm bells going off that we're doing something wrong and we need to switch switch gears and there's this whole side of of medicine that 
isn't on board with that idea and it's right. more symptom suppression and i think it's a it's a slippery slope it's very difficult my biggest challenge right now is first i had to be converted into someone who would say well how do you feel with this and realizing that you better listen or bad things are going to happen and it's not it was not easy for me as a physician to move there. But pretty soon I realized if I was gonna say, okay, we're doing these vitamin D levels, we're doing them every month for years on end, and the patient comes in and says, I think my D is high. And I say, well, I don't know, I'm the one with the data, you know, I got the numbers, I think it's low. No, they turned out to be right. And then I'd say, well, how did you know that? What, what was, and sometimes they can't tell you, they, but they just say, well, I think it's, no. That meant that one, vitamin D is something that reflects in how we feel. There's a huge complexity of that in the background. But once you get there, then you realize, you know what? I better listen to what they say. And I better than the next step is giving the patient or the client permission to always do what your body says is the right thing to do. And everything that's on my website is about my patients coming back and saying, you told me to do blah, blah, blah. Well, I got all screwed up and I'm like, well, you look pretty good, right? Yeah, I'm feeling good. Well, what did you do? <laughs> I mean, tell me what you did and being open-minded enough because we were all desperate to, to actually step out of the expert role and say, okay, well, teach me about that. How did you learn about that? And what, it, what happened to you? And that experience has gotten me into places that are really weird where I can't really find explanations for why there's a time frame like after you get your microbiome back three to four months later if you are sleeping normally your body will then ask for more b vitamins and for a span of six to nine months you will have to take more that's totally bizarre yeah. so there is a huge mind shift here that's that needs to happen in supplementation as well as in medicine the idea that d and we really won't do well with D until we give the patient the, per the permission to say, I don't feel good on this. I don't feel good when my D is X, whatever it is. I feel better when it's Y. We are not set up to do that. Instead, we have 600 and 900 forms of vitamin D that the pharmaceutical agencies have made. And that means that they've used them in animals and they've used them on humans. And if we don't recognize that these are chemicals that are affect our thinking, that affect our mood, then we just throw these things around. We, you know, call it a vitamin, then we can just throw it around and give it an experiment to people on dialysis where they're, and they'll come back and say, what, since you started giving me this thing for my bones, I can't sleep. We won't listen because we haven't, a, just like that, if we, biology doesn't care about our little, our little human-centered qualification. Oh, that's about bones. Yep, no, you're right. And, you know, we touched on aging earlier and how things change physiologically for us. And I, I heard you in a previous talk uh, mention how our ability to synthesize vitamin D goes down as we age if our bodies just don't work as well as when we were younger. So does supplementing with vitamin D offset that or can we spend more time in the sunlight? How do we remedy that? Excellent question, Mike. This is a little bit gnarly right here, okay? So if I'm talking to a 25-year-old who's had normal physiology and just briefly in the last four years 
lost their microbiome, whether they know they have, whether they ever had IBS or not, the body is really designed to take all these deficiency states and fix it up, no problem. If I'm having the same conversation with a 65-year-old or with myself, it's really a different setting, okay? There's a complexity that the dermatologist missed about sun exposure. So really, when the dermatologist in the 80s started to say, oh, we have sunscreen now, you really don't want to be in the sun, there was no accompanying chorus of, derm of neurologists, endocrinologists, renal specialists who had recognized that D was active in their organs and keeping their organs healthy to be behind the dermatologist and say, what about safe sun exposure? So yes, burning is not right. But really what we've done since the 80s is we have, we've bought ourselves sleep disorders, autoimmunity, incorrect mental and physical development in childhood to save us from squamous cell carcinoma of the ear at age 75. So yes, it's true that we can have some positive outcomes, but in the dermatologist's willingness to say, I know about my organ, the skin, but I've ignored the other millions of effects of D, we, we've wound up in these new epidemics. It's now only in retrospect that we can see that they started in the 80s and that they all link back to a combination of D microbiome. It's hard to see that as it's developing. And because these are all old diseases, it's not like vitamin D deficiency and the loss of the microbiome is new. It's always been there. In the 1800s, 1700s, when doctors are writing down symptoms, some of the things they're looking at heart failure, diabetes, depression, all the things they're describing are walking in the door because the person is D low and they've lost their microbiome. That means these are all old, old diseases. And we therefore haven't alerted to the fact that these old diseases are presenting in younger and younger and younger populations. There is a really interesting literature about D and why that happens. But in fact, the answer to your actual question was, we don't know what's going to happen because it's my belief that if D by itself does not bring back the microbiome, that was my experience. I thought if D was low, we lost our microbiome. All we have to do is feed the D back to those bugs and the ones that like D will grow back from the background. Okay. But it didn't happen at two years. IBS is still terrible and we're all getting worse. And then the next question would be, okay, they need D the bugs need D. What else could they want? And then I stumble into this B vitamins. Oh, each one of the B vitamins has a colonic bacteria source and a food source. Oh, they're just feeding each other vitamins. Oh, we haven't given them the Bs. That means the ones in the background need to grow forward and overtake all the bad guys. So you need a combination of D plus all Bs in large dose. That has actually been done a little bit in naturopathic healing by using fermented or fermented food and what they called the anti-polyneuritic factor, which was really a yeast preparation that had yeast and bacteria growing, the stuff you use to make beer and bread, they used that to treat pellagra and beriberi. And that was the vitamin deficiency state. And they treated that and then grew out of that was the discovery that these chemicals that are being made by bacteria, this is back in the really early 1900s, 1910, 20, 30, they're just starting to isolate these chemicals 
that are growing out of these bacterial um, cultures. And they're saying, oh, these are bacterial growth factors. All of the bees were bacterial growth factors. And then we discovered that they were necessary for humans. But the connection between, oh, it's our bugs growing inside us that are really supplying it, didn't get made. Now, when you then put that there and say, okay, what happens now when we have a whole population that's been deficient and we add it back and we correct this, what's going to happen to them in the longest point? Nobody really knows. I don't really know what's going to happen when I try to reverse this process. There have been people who have come, been brought back from burning neuropathy with these preparations. I don't know what to happen to them in the longer term. I really do think we're all going to still die of something. So you yeah. can manipulate this to some extent. I still think that it's sleep, not vitamins. That's the key. And it's likely that each one of us are still going to have some genetic stumbling blocks, even if we can get this vitamin picture as good as we can. So I think we're really in the very very early phases of seeing, okay, once I put the microbiome back together, once I have the D on board, once I sleep better, what's going to happen to the population in the longer term? Yeah. And I mean, you know, just these different paths that you've gone down in your experience, you're literally blazing a new trail in this field. And uh, it's, it's satisfying, but it's scary at the same time, because we really don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's, I mean, every time I hear you speak, it's mind blowing. I, I learn so much. It's, it's wild. I mean, I love it. I'm a geek for this stuff. And, uh, no, again, I appreciate, I appreciate the work that you do. Um, you had mentioned, um, previously in a, a different talk that, uh, you don't recommend K2, which is often, often recommended with D by, almost, I mean, a lot of physicians in, in functional medicine and allopathic medicine. And I mean, when you, when you go and you look on the store shelves, it's often packaged together, K2 plus D or D plus K2. Why do you take issue with K2 supplementation? I don't actually take issue with it. Here's what actually happened to me. I'm dealing with people who really like allopathic medicine. So I'm in a regular practice. They have headaches or seizures or tremor or, you know, so they're on like, seven or eight medicines already and then i'm going off in this direction that they weren't actually attracted to okay they don't come in because they want to do supplements so i'm trying to convince them to take an additional six pills i'm taking a multivitamin and a b50 and three d pills and maybe b12 so it's not that i'm not interested or don't care about k2 it's that i was really focusing on d and the other vitamins effect on sleep and K2 plays no role in sleep. What K2 does is it doesn't have anything to do with D absorption. It is not a cofactor for D. That's incorrect. It is a cofactor for the function of calcium going into bone instead of into places where it doesn't belong. So in actual fact, there is an FAQ on my site addressing this because it's asked all the time that says if you have osteopenia or osteoporosis or if you know you have calcification in places where it doesn't belong, then you should be using K2. In actual fact, K2 is made by our intestinal bacteria. So that every single person who follows this path and gets to the right sleep program has other deficiencies. So one of the reasons why the multivitamin is there in this program is that there are many other mineral deficiencies. Some people need more calcium, some need more magnesium, most of the time, I really want you to focus on what's helping me sleep. 
If I need magnesium because I've got headaches or cramps or it seems to help me sleep, then you do it. But I'm not really interested in taking 18 different supplements just to cover every single thing that might happen. Instead, I want to rely on knowing that this program is designed to bring back the microbiome. And our microbiome has been a major source of K2 throughout our life. So the reason why humans have covered the globe like roaches is because we are very adaptable to many different diets. To me, that means in the setting of being living outdoors and having a normal microbiome, we can actually exist and thrive and take over all the other animals on the planet with pretty varied and pretty narrowed diets. So I really don't think it's the whole story is just, oh, I have to do this diet, that diet, and these supplements. I really think it's more about if I put back together the original biology and I say, okay, K2 comes from my belly and K2 is in my multivitamin, are there any other things about me specifically that would make me want to add K2 instead of just automatically adding it at the beginning? Now, let me switch gears here for a moment. Um, what do you define as a good night's sleep? Is it different for different people? Is it a set amount of hours? I know it's the million-dollar question. I know people debate this issue. I want to know what you think of that. The first thing to answer is we have data from the 1960s that came out of the Stanford sleep studies. I was growing up at that time. Keep in mind, we did not have sunscreen. And the people who were being studied were Stanford medical students and college students. So there's a generational effect. Okay. But the normals that we got out of those original studies usually fall asleep at around nine or 10 and wake up at six. And they usually have eight hours of sleep with four hours of deep sleep, two of slow wave sleep, which on your tracker is called deep sleep, which makes it kind of confusing, two hours of slow wave sleep, two hours of REM, and that's very general, okay? Now, having said that, it's pretty unusual to find people who can do that now, okay? And in younger populations, it's even worse, okay? So that means most 80% of kids born in the last 10 years sleep disorders everywhere. So if you say 30%, I think your, your statistic of 30% of the population has insomnia. In the children, I think it's even higher than that. Wow. That means if you look at what the Stanford sleep studies show as normal now, the recent studies show that if you study teenagers and early 20s, there's a big uptick in their brain activity between 11 p.m. and 1 a.m., and their response to that is, oh, we should start high school at 10 a.m., which is not a bad idea. But what they don't realize is they're studying all vitamin D deficient kids who have the wrong microbiome. This increase in insomnia. So the, the first part of life up until around puberty, the kids are tired when they wake and they need longer periods of time. It's unusual for them to have insomnia. It's common for them to have sleep disorder. But the presentation is usually they're fatigued, cranky and a little little strange, you know, they're doing weird things that we don't quite understand, whatever you call that. That is the beginning. And that's because they can't really physically sleep long enough to complete their sleep when their D is low. And remember the D being low was a winter message. That meant we were hibernating. We were sleeping for 16 hours so that you wouldn't kill all those little kids that are in your teepee with you. And you don't have enough food to really, to really support, you know, you've got eight kids in that teepee and if they don't sleep a lot, you know, you're in there for four months, let's say. So there's a big survival advantage to them sleeping longer. What we've done now is wake them up at 6am to go to school when their body is in a 
in a physiologic state that needs 18 hours of sleep. And that used to be a big survival advantage. Then at puberty, it changes, and all of a sudden they have trouble falling asleep, and we blame it on their computer and their devices. And those. So your question is, what's normal sleep? What I got to see was, okay, let's just say we don't know, because nobody's seeing me as normal sleep, that's for sure. And they may think they have normal sleep, and then you do a sleep study because they have an epilepsy or they have headache, and they don't even have a sleep complaint because that's what their sleep has been like since the day they were born. That's another really interesting thing. If you don't, this is the only body I've ever been in. How would I know what normal sleep is? So we, we judge normal sleep by our sleep and our family sleep because otherwise we have no way of knowing. So one, you start to do sleep studies on people that look tired and, and are seeing a neurologist and you see their sleep study and they have an hour of deep sleep, none, they have no deep sleep and you go, well, this is not good. Why is this happening? That means you really can't just rely on, I go to sleep at 10 and wake up at nine, but I'm tired. So the second thing is, it's not just about what are the characteristics of the sleep, it's what does the person feel like during the day? And they, you know, if they have medical problems, if they're seeing a doctor for something, my claim would be they don't have normal sleep. So I have a very small, low threshold for saying, mm, probably have a sleep disorder now. Ultimately, we have a new phase where all the people that I'm working with have sleep trackers now. We're actually entering a new era where normal, quote unquote, people who aren't even seeing a doctor who are sick, they have a sleep disorder. That's why they got an aura ring or a sleep tracker. And now they're watching what happens to their sleep every single night over time at home without all these electrodes on. And they're actually telling me new stuff. I mean, there's so what is normal sleep? Well, I got to see people who, for instance, at the most at the most extreme end are people who've been working nights for the last 30 years who are now on disability because their body is so wrecked and they're still sleeping during the day. And what do they say about that? They say, I guess it's because I work nights for so long. Normal humans cannot work nights. They get fired because they fall asleep when they're supposed to be working. That means the only people who will work nights are the ones with a sleep disorder. And if you take them out of the setting that actually makes them sleep during the day, they still sleep during the day. I actually saw a couple of those people. This is not what I would expect. I grew up in the same dogma, like, oh, there are night owls and there are morning people. You know, that, that's all I knew. No, I saw them actually, if you encourage them to sleep when their brain can sleep, Instead of being a sleep Nazi and telling him to wake up an hour earlier all the time, which was the only thing we had to tell him, you let them sleep during the day and you give back the vitamins and you're just patient. They flip over because 10 to 6, 10 to 6 is what everybody gets to. Even if you have a preconceived notion about it, every once in a while people can go 9.30 to 5.30, but they flip into an eight-hour. Now, there's an intermediate phase, which is most people doing my program, when they get all the vitamins on board, they sleep a lot. And you actually have to tell them, I know that you came to me so that you could feel better during the day. And I know that you had, let's just say, a little bit of insomnia, but mostly fatigue. And what you have now is, I just want to sleep all the time. <laughs> Over the weekend, I slept nine hours, and then I took a three-hour nap. This is not what I want. This is not what I signed up for, okay? You have to think about it in terms of you are actually doing something 
that is allowing you time in deep sleep to fix your sleep switches. You must go through that transition phase to arrive into the place where you have healthy sleep switches and then healthy nightly maintenance is eight hours. But if you have a lot of deferred repairs that you haven't been doing for 20 years, <clears throat> you will have to sleep longer than that to get those repairs done. And there probably is a whole scheduling program. Like I do this every night, the brain has a list. It has certain things it looks at every single night. And then it has things it does once a week, once a, every two weeks, once a month. And a lot of the maintenance has been deferred. You know, things are falling apart in there. And now you have to put it all back together. Then you finally arrive at a normal eight hour nightly maintenance. So my, my short answer would be, it's not just what's my sleep like, it's what are the things that show up during the day that show me that my sleep, even though as far as I was concerned, it was okay, my sleep isn't as fully restorative as I would like. That's a, that's a very detailed answer. Thank you. Um, now, what if we, what if we, I know that I know nobody's perfectly healthy and it's just part of the human experience, but what if somebody doesn't get those eight hours, but they feel okay and their energy is okay and they're alert and they start getting sleepy at nine, 10 o'clock. Um, is that a good place to be? I mean, can yeah, we listen I, to our bodies I, I then? I would not mess around with supplements if that's how you feel. You know, I really feel there's a lot of danger. So the population that's coming after supplements are two. One, that's sick. The other is looking for peak performance. So athletic peak performance and longevity is a different way to enter into this. I kind of think it's it's a little dangerous to, to head towards peak performance and just make assumptions. If you're gonna go into any supplement, I think for peak performance, you listen to what your body says about it. They're not just okay. D is a dangerous, it's like taking testosterone. You know, D is a hormone. We know that if you give, our, our history is really strong with testosterone. If you give it once a month, instead of the normal physiologic dosing of any hormone, you get a really different result and it can be very dangerous. That means if you're going to use D, you have to put on your hormone cap. You have to read all the literature about what happens with testosterone and use that as a model. And then you have to go towards, okay, how can I give this in the most biologically normal way? You really want to do bioidentical hormones. That's why we're calling it that. That means you really want to use the sun. You really do want to use UVB light because there's all sorts of things. And if you use UVB light by itself inside, what you're doing there is changing the fact that there are not these other wavelengths accompanying. Just because we don't know that infrared does X, Y, and Z with the D, we don't know about those things. That means you really want to pursue the most natural approach that you can and use the supplements sparingly if there's nothing wrong with you. Otherwise, you get into a place where your body didn't really want to be. Yeah. So I think it's okay to say, I feel great. If I don't have any complaints about anything and I'm functioning great, then I don't think you should be dabbling in this stuff. Yep, that makes sense. And uh, Dr. Gomanak, I want to keep talking, but uh, we're, we're running short on time here. So we're going to have to invite you back for like a part two of this at some point, if you'll join us again, because I feel like we've just scratched the surface here. Yeah, let's do another one. Let's Absolutely. do one about kids. Let's do one about 
uh, the B vitamins and how they manifest. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. Now we're talking a mini series. Yeah. <laughs> um, how can people find you before we go? My website is uh, www.drgomenak. No period. D R G O M I N A K dot com. Um, I've kept that. It's been criticized as not a very relevant name, but I'm the only Gomenac on the planet. So if you put in something kind of like Gomenac and D and vitamin D, my website will pop up. I have a workbook, which is actually a path. It works like a your own private assistant to take you through what is really a program that's about a year, year and a half in duration. I have most of the material on the website is free. It's the why. It's what we're talking about. The how is pretty specific, and it gives you all the ways to get your D levels done. What do you need to know about vitamin D levels and how to have them done? So there's some specific things you need to do to make this work for you, and that is in the workbook. I also have two sets of videos. One is about fertility and pregnancy in the first year with your infant, because that's a special situation. And the second is for if you want to use the Right Sleep Program in children. So I recommend those to you also on my site. Awesome. Well, thanks for being with us today. We'll definitely uh, have you back. And uh, we just appreciate all the work that you do. Thank you so much, Mike. And that'll do it for this edition of the Natural Man Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and check out our other episodes and also follow us on Instagram at Natural Man Podcast. My name is Mike C. Stay healthy. This has been the Natural Man Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast for more episodes. I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we we the perfect perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous. Or sexy. Catch us on, on the Dean Blundell Network or on our YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts. Because democracy, democracy is something, something you do. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.